This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to start in uh, verse number uh, 20 this morning uh, with our new theme for 2020 is Magnify Jesus. comes from Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse number 20. This, throughout this year, we'll be talking uh, about what it means to magnify Christ over the coming weeks, and then uh, at some point throughout this year, we're going to go verse by verse through the book of Philippians. So if you want to get ahead uh, and read ahead, you can read the book of Philippians. It's only four chapters. If you're a slow reader like I am, you could probably read the entire book of Philippians in less than 20 minutes or so. Uh, and so I'd encourage you, if you have never read through it, read through it to get ahead. Uh, if you've already read through it, become familiar with it, because we'll be, we'll be going through it uh, verse by verse together. Our very first theme that we ever had at who we call a Baptist church in 2014 was follow Jesus. If you were here for the follow Jesus theme, raise your hand if you would. Who's here for that? Yeah, like seven or eight of us, right? That was awesome. Uh, 2015 uh, was God is able. If you were here for that theme, raise your hand. A few more folks. Say, hey, I was here for that. 2016, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. Raise your hand for that. How many people were here for that one? Good. 2017, transform. Who's here for, for the transform theme? Awesome. 2018, Alive Together. Raise your hand if you were here for that. Excellent. 2019, Launch Out. Raise your hand if you were here for that. Excellent. 2020, Magnify Jesus. Raise your hand if you were here for that. Oh, trick question. Everybody's hands should be up. There you go. So here's the thing. You might say, well, I don't, I'm not familiar with those. Great, then you get to start today. Uh, and, and next year when I say, who's here for Magnified Jesus? You go, oh, yeah, I remember that one. That was a good one. Uh, and so here's the awesome part. Each one of those themes we, we preach through uh, from the Bible, and if you missed any of those, those are still archi- archived on our church website. And so you can always uh, get caught up if you missed out on any of those uh, amazing things. But we're taking a look at what it means to magnify Jesus Christ in our lives uh, this year. We'll dig in as we uh, dig through the book of Philippians in the weeks ahead. We'll talk about the the book of Philippians was written as what's called a prison epistle. It's a letter that Paul wrote while he sat in prison. Uh, and so he was writing to the church at Philippi uh, and encouraging them in their faith. And uh, that kind of helps us to understand the context of verse 20, which is going to be our theme verse uh, for this year. Get your Bibles ready. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse number 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be my, by my life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. As I uh, read through this uh, passage of Scripture really dozens of times before I settled on this theme for this year, I thought to myself about a guy here, Paul, who was going through a difficult period in his life, uh, in prison for following the Lord, in prison for preaching the gospel. Imprisoned for his faith, something that many of us will never know uh, the, the depth of. But he says, through all of this, the way that I live, I want Jesus Christ to be lifted up. And the way that I die, I want Jesus Christ to be lifted up. Uh, the main theme that was running through his mind as he started off this book uh, to the, the church at Philippi was, I want Jesus Christ to be lifted up. The word magnified by uh, dic- dictionary definition means to make something appear larger than it is especially with a lens or a microscope, to be held in greater esteem or conceived as being physically larger. When we think of magnifying Jesus, uh, let me just say this, it's impossible to make Jesus larger than he already is. Uh, He's as big as it gets. Jesus is one of those uh, uh, items in your life that you can't make too much of. You can't make him bigger than he actually is. So to to magnify Christ doesn't mean that we're making Christ bigger than he is or we're making a bigger deal out of him than he actually is. To magnify him means to make him appear larger in my own life to the people around me. When we think of magnification, we're thinking especially of the way that things look or the way that things appear. And this year, I wanna challenge you, 2020, I want you to, to magnify Jesus like never before. I want you to make him larger in your life than he's ever been before. I want him to appear larger to the people around you than he's ever appeared before. 
And as we lift up the name of Jesus throughout this year, I want you to remember to magnify Jesus. As we take a look at this passage of scripture and we uh, dissect it a little bit, we see first of all that it begins with a plan of action. You're not gonna magnify Jesus by accident. I guarantee you that. Left to our own devices, we will magnify self every single time. Magnifying Jesus doesn't come naturally to us. We wanna magnify self. Think about this. Whenever you see a group photo, who's the first person that you look for? You look for yourself, right? And it can be one of the most beautiful photos you've ever seen in your entire life, but you'll say something like this. Oh, I hate that stupid look on my face. Oh, my eyes are closed in that. What a terrible photo. Completely leaving out the rest of the folks that might look absolutely amazing, uh, putting out the fact that it was a special day and uh, you forget about that. But you think to yourself, oh man, me, me, me. We begin to, to get news about certain things. We wonder how will that affect me? What is that gonna do for me? Some of you might've heard this week that Olive Garden says that they're coming to Hawaii. I think to myself, how does that affect me? Will I have to buy a new wardrobe to make up for all of the endless breadsticks? Uh, I think about things like that. How will that affect me? And I thought to myself, man, when they, when they put in an Olive Garden here, they're probably gonna stick it out in Kapolei or somewhere really far away from me. Oh no, they're putting it in where Bubba Gums is at Alamoana Center. So it's within walking distance of me. And I think to myself, how will that affect me? Well, I need to buy a new belt. Well, I need to buy those pants with elastic in the waist. How is that gonna affect me? But we automatically think to ourselves, what does this do for me? How does this help me? Magnifying Jesus is flipping that upside down, saying, hey, it's not about me, it's all about Jesus. That's where things really need to begin to change. When we understand that this life isn't about us, it's about making much of Christ. Uh, This life isn't about me, it's about magnifying the glory of God, and I need to figure out how I'm gonna do that because it doesn't happen naturally. If you take a look at uh, verse number 20 here, Paul says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope. You see, when we walk our God-directed path, we can be certain that it will end well. If you're following God, I guarantee you things are gonna work out perfectly according to plan. Will there be bumps along the way? Definitely, but you will arrive at your intended destination with great joy if you do it God's way. That's the critical part of this. You follow your own path, you do your own thing, you're gonna be greatly disappointed and you're really just hoping that everything works out for the best, but if you walk the path that God has for you, you can be confident that things will work out according to his perfect plan. That's why Paul says, while he sits in prison, hey, I have an earnest expectation. I got something that I believe God's gonna do, and I'm really looking forward to it. I also have hope here as well. The word uh, in, in this passage here where earnest expectation means an eager anticipation with the desired expectation and a high confidence of that being fulfilled. Paul says, I know where this is going and I'm really looking forward to it. I know how all of this is going to end and I can't wait for it. Now you think to yourself, does Paul really know how this is gonna end? Actually, he doesn't know the steps individually. He's probably under house arrest for preaching the gospel. He's not allowed uh, the freedom uh, that anyone would have. He's not allowed to preach the gospel to, pe- to people. He is on house arrest, so from time to time, he'll have visitors that come in and stay with him for sometimes a length of time. But Paul doesn't really know what's gonna happen here. Paul would eventually be put to death, history would tell us. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but uh, written extra-biblical history would tell us that Paul would eventually be put to death for his faith. But here's what Paul says. I'm really looking forward to how things unfold because I know how it's going to end. How's it gonna end? It's gonna end with Jesus Christ being lifted up. I don't know how my life is gonna end, but I want to hope, want to think that my life will end with Jesus Christ being lifted up. I don't know how I'm gonna die one day, and frankly, I'm not really all that concerned about it because I know where I go when I die, but I hope when I die, it can be said of me, he was faithful and Jesus Christ was lifted up in his life. That's my earnest expectation. That was Paul's earnest expectation, and I wanna challenge you this morning for it to be your earnest expectation. I want Jesus Christ to be lifted up in my life, whether it be through my life, whether it be through my death. Psalm 62, verse number five, I believe these, note, these uh, verses are in your notes. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is of him. He is my only rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. You know, you put your expectation in anything other than the Lord, you're gonna be disappointed. 
Some of you uh, might have thought you were gonna get something for Christmas this year that you didn't get and you had an expectation that didn't get met. Maybe you got exactly what you wanted for Christmas only to find out that it wasn't as good as you thought it was gonna be. Maybe you got married with some level of expectation thinking, oh, this is gonna solve the problems that I have in life only to find out that it only brought a, a new set of problems. That's why I love talking to single adults sometimes. They think to themselves, well, I've got these problems and if I could just get married, it would solve my problems. And all the married people are like, yeah, you don't understand how marriage works, right? Because you have two imperfect sinners who come into a relationship both with their own problems, both with their own sin, and that you compound that and you multiply it times two. Things don't get better, things get considerably more difficult. And so that's why whether you're single or whether you're married, the answer to your problem is not your relationship status. The answer to your problem is always gonna be Jesus Christ. You see, in your marriage, you may say things aren't going well right now. I'll tell you why, because Christ isn't magnified. I guarantee you that. Because here's the thing, if two sinners are walking in the spirit and doing things God's way, the Bible way, it will work out. You say, well, you don't understand my marriage. I understand this, you're a sinner, and if you do it God's way, you have the best chance for success every single time. You do it your own way, it's hit and miss, it's a toss up, it may or may not work out. But we can have an earnest expectation in the Lord. We can have our hope in the Lord. I don't know about you, but Paul challenges us here to look forward with excitement and expectancy to the next step. I love a new year. I love a fresh start. I like a new preaching series. I'm, I'm ultra fired up about this series that we have here and where we're going with it. Oh, it's gonna be so good. I wanna challenge you to be here at five o'clock tonight. We're gonna continue this theme tonight on what it means for us together as a church family. Tonight's our vision night. We're gonna put some things in your hands that are gonna help you have the best year you've ever had before in your walk with Jesus if you'll just use the resources that you got. I'm excited about that. But what the word that's used here uh, in verse number 20 where it says earnest expectation, the Greek word that he actually uses there means a straining of the neck to look ahead to see what's coming. If you ever uh, pulled into an intersection and you can't see the around, uh, whether or not it's not it's safe to pull out, so you have to like lean forward a little bit to see what's coming. That's the idea of this word earnest expectation. I'm, I'm stretching my neck to see what's going on here, but not to make sure that it's clear because excited about what's coming. And so Paul, when he says, I have an earnest expectation that Christ would be magnified, I'm really looking forward to what's coming ahead. He says, I'm stretching my neck as far as I can see down the road as I can because I cannot wait to see what comes ahead. I wanna challenge you to have that kind of heart towards the coming year. I can't wait to see what God's gonna do in my life. Man, today we got a sign-up sheet in the back for our uh, discipleship program that starts on February 5th. I wanna challenge you, if you've never gone through discipleship, do it this time. Every Christian should go through form, some form of discipleship. You need to know what you believe, why you believe it, and you need to put it into practice like yesterday. And this is a great way to get an on-ramp onto that. And, and some of you that have signed up for discipleship, I hope you have a spirit of expectancy. Say, man, I can't wait to see what God's gonna do through me as I start this discipleship journey. I hope some of you are, are considering church membership, about putting your roots down here and beginning to serve and be a part of the ministry and make this your family in an official capacity. And I hope as you think towards that, as you pray towards that, you think, oh man, I can't wait to see what God has in store for me and how God's gonna use me to further his work here in this church. I hope you're looking forward to your Bible reading. Man, I, got a, uh, I, I get a new Bible every year that I mark up throughout that year, and I, I got a new Bible. Man, I absolutely love it. I love a fresh Bible and being able to mark it up and make changes, and, and not make changes to the Bible, but write notes and stuff like that in there. That would be a bad thing. Don't make changes to the Bible. Uh, the book of Revelation talks about how it's a very, very bad thing, okay? But I, I love highlighting stuff and writing notes in there and things like that. Oh, man, I love a fresh Bible because, it's man, it's like everything's new all over again. Oh, man, I love it. I hope your Bible reading plan that you're on this year, because you do have a plan, right? I hope your Bible reading plan that you're on, you're looking forward to that with excitement. Oh man, I can't wait to get into that. I hope you show up to church every week with an excitement, with an expectation. Man, I can't wait to be with God's people. I hope there's a new person that sits next to me so I can make them feel like a million bucks. I hope I can show the love of Jesus to somebody this week. I hope you go to work this week with an expectation, not that you love your job so much, but that Jesus would be magnified in the work that you do. Man, wouldn't that be something? Paul says, I have an earnest expectation and a hope. 
You see, our hope is our confident expectation in God based on his character and the promises of his word. Anytime the word the Bible uses the word hope, it's not like I hope it's not gonna rain today or I hope the weather clears up or I hope traffic's not bad today. I hope I can sleep on that flight that's coming up. That's not the kind of hope that the Bible speaks of. When it says our hope, it means I know this is going to come to pass and it gives me great peace. It's a confident expectation in God based on his character and the promises of his word. Because God has promised to care for me, I know this is gonna work out. Because God is sovereign, I know that everything's gonna work in accordance with his plan. I know because God rewards those who diligently seek him, because I'm doing the right thing, I know God's gonna take really, really good care of me and I can have hope. My circumstances might not be what I want them to be, My financial situation might not be what it is. My employment situation might not be what I want it to be. Problems can be going on around me, but I can still have hope knowing that God is at work. And Paul says, when I look forward at what's gonna happen here, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I am hopeful and I have a confident expectation. Proverbs chapter 10, verse number 28, the hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish The way of the Lord is strength to the upright, but destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. Proverbs tells us we can have our hope because we choose to follow after the Lord. I love the book of Proverbs because it tells you, do this and you get this, do that and you get that. It says here, hey, you put your hope in the Lord, he's gonna take care of you. You wanna go your own path, it's gonna fail miserably. It's really clear, very simple. Anybody can figure that out. Anybody can follow that. But our hope is not in how good we are. Our hope is not in how we can turn our plans around. Our hope is not in what we can do. Our hope is in the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Deuteronomy 7, 9, know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy to them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. I know that God is faithful. He's always been faithful since the beginning of time. God has been faithful and I know that he'll be faithful to me and I have hope because of that. I don't know what 2020 holds for me personally, but I have a great amount of hope. I don't know what 2020 holds for our church family collectively, but I have a lot of hope. I don't know what 2020 has in store for my family, but I have a lot of hope. There might be some level of uncertainty. That's okay. I was talking with some folks this morning and I said, hey, if we had it all figured out and everything worked according to our plans, we wouldn't need the Lord and we wouldn't need faith. Our uh, youngest son graduates high school this year. He's a senior. What happens after he graduates? Well, he's planning on going to a Bible college for a year. What happens after that? Well, I don't know. He doesn't know. Nobody knows. Does that cause you to be scared or concerned? No, I have a lot of hope. Because from the moment that he was born, his mother and I have prayed over him on a daily basis, and I've tried to put in him the character that he needs to live in this life, a successful Christian life. And we have a lot of hope. Is he going to make mistakes? Definitely. <laughs> Definitely, he's my kid. He's gonna make a ton of mistakes. Is it gonna work out? I have every hope and expectation because God gives me that. Is my hope and my stellar parenting skills? No way, not even close. My hope is in the Lord. Is my hope in the current climate of uh, jobs in America? No, my hope is in the Lord. And we have to come back to the place where our hope, where our faith rests, and it always has to be in God. If we choose to magnify Jesus this year, let me tell you what it's gonna require of you. First of all, it's gonna need a plan of action. You need to figure out where this thing's going. And you probably need to draw some line in the sands before we ever get started in this year and say, hey, here's a line that I'm not gonna cross. Here's something I'm not gonna do. Here's the things that I'm gonna commit my life to. You need to have a good Bible reading plan. You need to commit to walking with Jesus every day. You need to commit to a solid prayer life. You need to commit to community inside the church family, more than just showing up for church, being a part of the church. You need to commit to obedience and righteousness. I'm gonna do what the Bible says every single time. And when I fail, I'm gonna ask God to forgive me. I'm gonna repent of my sin. I'm gonna leave it behind and I'm gonna move forward. That has to be a plan that we have because you just wake up tomorrow and you don't have a plan. I guarantee you it's all gonna fall apart. So we have to have a plan in place. Second thing it's gonna require of you, it requires boldness. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing 
I shall be ashamed. You know, the hard thing today is that for whatever reason, I believe our society has created a culture where we feel almost embarrassed or ashamed to say that we're a Bible-believing Christian because sometimes we're afraid of the label that we might get labeled with because we allow people to place labels on us that carry so much weight, that carry so much value that we're almost afraid of labels. Are you a conservative? (laughs) I don't know what that means to you, but I know what my view of it, I don't know if that lines up with what you think of or not. When we uh, first started our church, my wife had invited a cashier at a store to um, our church services. The person asked my wife, well, is your church liberal or is it conservative? (laughs) And the most, one of the wisest answers I've ever heard in my life, and I've stolen it, I've used it a hundred times since. And I'm always careful to give credit where credit's due. She said this. She said, our church is very conservative when it comes to the Bible and doctrine, and we're very liberal when it comes to grace. And I thought to myself, ooh, that's good. I'm gonna use that. Like, I wrote that down. I don't wanna forget. That was really, really good. They're so wise. I don't know what conservative or liberal means to you, but I know this. When it comes to the Bible, we believe what it says word for word, even when it goes against what our society says is appropriate. But when it comes to giving grace and loving people where they are with what they have, when it comes to taking care of people with whatever baggage they walk in the front door with, this has to be a place of liberal, liberal grace that whatever you got going on, Jesus is the answer and we can help you fix it. Has to be. But sometimes we eschew the label of Christian even. I don't want people to think that I'm that weirdo. All of us have met a Christian weirdo, and let me tell you this, don't be the Christian weirdo, okay? Don't be that. And here's the thing. For you to be the Christian weirdo that makes Jesus look bad, it takes a lot of work to make Jesus look bad because he's so good, right? So don't be that Christian weirdo. But it's okay to stand up for your faith. It's okay to say, no, I don't do that, I'm a Christian. I, I can't do that because I'm a Christian. You know, that, that would violate my faith. That doesn't align with my values that I have. And being a Christian isn't a dirty word. Being a Christian isn't something to be ashamed of. And Paul says here, I'm not gonna be ashamed of it. Now, in, in Paul's day, the term Christian had a very, very negative connotation associated with it. That to be a Christ follower basically at that time was a new religion that people viewed as against God himself. I mean, the Jews who had followed after God had been God's chosen people hated Jesus Christ. And so for Paul to stand and say, hey, I used to be a Jew, but now I'm a follower of Christ, that was almost a death sentence for him. But you know what he said? I don't care. I'm not gonna be ashamed by that. I'm not gonna be embarrassed by who I am. And I wanna challenge you this year to be a bold Christian. Maybe you've never been able to say out loud to somebody, I'm a Christian I go to church on Sundays. I follow after Jesus. I have morals and values and guidelines. I can't do that anymore because that violates my faith that I have. Maybe you've never been able to say that. Maybe now's the time to do that because if Christ is gonna be magnified in our lives this year, it's gonna require boldness. Paul says that in nothing I shall be ashamed but with all boldness. I didn't watch the... uh, Golden Globes last year, I have no, or last week, I have no interest in the things that Hollywood has going on or anything like that. I don't think any Christian should either. But it came across my news feed that this uh, actress that I'd never heard of, Michelle Williams, had made a statement in her acceptance speech where she says, I wouldn't have been able to do this without employing a woman's right to choose. And she said, abortion allowed me to get here where I can accept this award today. And I thought to myself, how shameful, how embarrassing. But she said that to raucous applause. She was celebrated. Uh, One uh, news article said that she made a speech and it was the most powerful moment of the night where she accepted her award and she said, I could have never done this without a woman's right to choose. And I thought to myself, if I had to sacrifice my children to gain the fame of this world, I'm not interested in what you're selling. But here's a person who sold out an unborn child. And again, you can, you can say whatever you want to say about it. I'm going to say what the Bible says about it. The Bible says that life begins at conception, that the child that was taken was a life that was snuffed out so that a woman could advance her career, and then she celebrated it to a world who celebrates her for being so bold. 
God, please help us as a nation. God, would you forgive us for the murder of hundreds of thousands of children every year? God, would you forgive us for being a nation that lifts up those that lift up sin? God, would you allow us to be loving, kind Christians who would be able to have real conversations with people about the sanctity of human life? Hey, look, we get out picket signs and start uh, telling people that they're going to hell and stuff like that because they're going to abortion clinics. We, we, we go against the act of what we're trying to do. But if we can have one-to-one conversations with people that say things like, hey, I was really disturbed by that that I saw. And again, <laughs> nobody's ever changed their mind because they lost a Facebook argument, okay? People, and again, well-meaning Christians, and if, it, if it's you, I'm not talking to you. I don't know that because I, I stay off of social media. It's not helpful for me. It's probably not helpful for you either. But I've never seen somebody one, one to Christ because of a Facebook argument. I have seen people one to Christ because somebody had them in their home, talked about, about them, where they came from, tried to understand where they were coming from, tried to lovingly present truth, tried to live a real deal, authentic Christian life ahead of them. And people saw that and then wanted to change. But look, posting YouTube videos or posting ugly comments or arguing with people that never gets anybody anywhere, just be... Uh, real deal Christian. Again, the purpose this year is not to magnify you and your opinions. The purpose is to magnify Christ. Truthfully, you shouldn't give a flip about what I think about things. You should place all your stock in what does the Bible say. <laughs> Truthfully, at the end of the day, I'm not greatly concerned about your opinion. I wanna know it so that I can know where you're coming from so I can get you to truth. But at the end of the day, I don't place a lot of value in what you think about things. At the end of the day, I have to believe that the Bible is our final authority for all matters of faith and practice. Have to. Paul even goes so far as to say this. It's a very small thing that I would be judged by you. Frankly, at the end of the day, if I'm doing what God wants me to do, I'm not concerned about winning a popularity contest. Let me just tell you this. If you make a decision this year to follow after Jesus and to magnify Jesus like never before, it will require boldness on your part, and you're probably not going to win a popularity contest for it. Just telling you. But at the end of the day, I want to hear that my father say, well done. Look, we live in a society today that revels in sin. Let's not be ashamed of our Savior. We live in a society today that calls wrong, right, and right, wrong. Let's not be embarrassed that we just believe what the Bible says. Well, it's an old, outdated book. It's a timeless book. Never changing, always relevant, always faithful. Sometimes people say that faith is the opposite of fear. Well, fear in your life, you know, is the opposite of living by faith. No, faith isn't the opposite of fear. Faith is living for Jesus despite our fear. This is not faith instead of fear. It's faith, faith despite our fear. The first time you say out loud to your coworkers that you're a follower of Christ, it's gonna be one of the most terrifying things you've ever done in your life. If you ever had to do like I had to do, where I had to go to people in my office and apologize to them and say, hey, I'm a Christian and I haven't been living like it. I just want to let you know, I'm sorry for the things that I've said, the way that I talked and the way that I live my life. Would you please forgive me because I'm really trying to change? It hurt to eat crow. You know why? Because death to self always hurts. Always. It was terrifying to say to people, I was wrong, I'm sorry, I wanna live right now. And these were unsafe people. And you know what? Nine out of 10 of those folks said to me, hey, no, no sweat, I appreciate you being real to what you believe. And that one person that made fun of me, oh yeah, Christians are hypocrites, I'm used to it anyways. Sorry. But it required a little bit of boldness. Does that make me Christian of the year? No. Does that mean I was perfect for the night? No. It just means that I didn't want Anthony to be magnified anymore. I wanted Jesus to be magnified. You see, this is not something that we do in our own personal power. We do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not me working up the courage to live for Jesus because my courage will not last. My power, my strength, my oomph that I have to get it done is very finite but the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me, the boldness that comes from walking with Jesus, that can last a lifetime. 
So I can't rely on my own strength. I can't rely on my own power. I have to rely on the power that comes from the Holy Spirit at work inside of me. And if you're a child of God here today, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you that's gonna help you to live for Jesus this year. This is a continual boldness that's developed by a lifestyle of faith and faithfulness. You might say, Pastor, I want that boldness. I just don't have it. Great. Keep walking with Jesus every single day and you'll develop it. You know, you don't walk into a gym for the first time and pull 315 pounds off a squat rack and squat it. You just don't. You generally start with a PVC pipe or a broomstick or no weight at all, right? And you have to build up to that. People are just like, oh, I can't be a bold Christian. I can't be as strong as you are in your faith. Hey, look, it took time to get to where I'm at and I'm not a perfect picture of what faith looks like. I'm trying. I'll tell you, as long as I'm following Jesus, follow after me. If you see God at work in my life, imitate the things that I do, just like the Apostle Paul says, but I'm not a perfect example. I haven't made it yet. I'm still working on it. It's a day-by-day process. But the longer that you stay at this, the more boldness that you have to be able to speak truth. That's why it's, it's my hope, my prayer for every single person that calls who we call their church home to be a radical Christ follower that is a disciple-making disciple. That's my dream for this church, it really is. It requires boldness though. It requires people who are willing to roll up their sleeves and get to work. It requires people who are willing to say, hey, I'm a Christian, I don't care what people think about it. I I sometimes say uh, when we have our Who We Call Us stickers, uh, if you drive like a Christian, put this on the back of your car. If you don't drive like a Christian, put it on your water bottle or your laptop or something like that. Because the worst thing in the world is to not act like a Christian and call yourself a Christian. But hey, I'm not embarrassed to to wear my shirt that says love, pray, give, serve, invest. Every single time, every single time I've ever worn that t-shirt out in public, I've had somebody stop me and go, hey, I like your shirt. What does that mean? Huh, glad you asked. I've had people say before, hey, where do you get a shirt like that? Oh, I know the place that has shirts like this. They're only open at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, though. Man, I'm, I'm thankful that I can have conversations like that. But it's not my power, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not something you get overnight, it's something you get day by day by day walking with Jesus. Hey, look, if you walk with Jesus every single day this week, the idea is that you'll be stronger next week than you were this week. If you continue that process for six weeks, the idea is that you'll be six times stronger than you were today. How about that? It's a continual process that we have to go through. Look, you quit anywhere in this process, you lose access to that boldness and that power. Stay after it, stay with it, it's worth it. Then in all things, I would not be ashamed. Paul says in Romans chapter one, verse number 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ is the power unto salvation. Don't be embarrassed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of being a Christian. Don't be embarrassed to hand out an invitation to church Our invitations that we have that you get in your bulletin every week, the ideas that you have on your bulletin to hand out to somebody this week. And on it, it says, Jesus, the hope that you're looking for. And on the back of that card is the gospel. Don't be embarrassed to hand those out. Don't be embarrassed to leave those places you go. Don't be embarrassed of your faith. Be willing to be bold. Be willing to magnify Jesus together with us this year. David said in 1 Samuel 17, David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear, he'll deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord be with thee. You know, David, when David went to Goliath, he had faith, he had boldness. Did he have fear? Probably. But you know what he says? God's got this. He's had my back time and time and time again, and I know that he'll take care of me this time. And the longer that you walk with Jesus, the more that you see him provide time and time and time again, the more boldness that you'll have that God's always been faithful. He'll always be faithful. I just have to be obedient. Not only does it require a plan, not only does it require boldness, it requires complete commitment. Verse 20, according to my earnest expectation, my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed with all boldness as always. So now Christ shall be magnified in my body, he says here. Now, some people misunderstand what Paul's saying here that uh, he wants to glorify God in his physical body. That's not what Paul's saying here. 
It's not Paul saying he wants to get a six-pack so that God can be glorified. That's not what he's talking about here. When he says, in my body, he speaks of every fiber of his being. I want Christ to be magnified by my thoughts. I want Christ to be magnified by my actions. I want Christ to be magnified by my words. I want Christ to be magnified by my attitude, the spirit that I have. I want Jesus to be made awesome to every person around me so that people stop and go, whoa, man, look at Jesus. Jesus does stuff like that in every aspect of it. So this is not just a marginal commitment that Christ can be magnified. I'm thankful that you're here on a Sunday morning. We've gathered here together to magnify Christ together this morning. Thankful that you're here for that. But if this is your only time that you're gonna magnify Christ this week, you're not giving him his full magnification. You're not, you're not getting it all done. This is a time where we come together to get the tools and resources we need to go out and magnify Christ tomorrow morning in my workplace. To magnify Christ tomorrow morning wherever I get coffee. To magnify Christ on my street. To magnify Christ to my neighbors. To magnify Christ everywhere I go, with every fiber of my being, in everything that I do, that Christ could be lifted up. You see, when Jesus is magnified, it takes over every area of our life. When Jesus is magnified, when you make a commitment to be a Christ follower, the real deal Christ follower, not some fake phony Christian who wears Christian t-shirts, listens to Christian radio, but lives in wicked, rebellious sin to God. That's a fake Christian. Not a Christian who's judgmental, not Christians who laugh at ugly jokes, not Christians who are racist, not Christians who are hate-filled. That's the opposite of being a real Christ follower. But when you're a real deal Christ follower from the top to the bottom, it takes over every area of your life, every area. It changes the people that I spend time with. It changes about what, what I talk about with the people that I spend time with. It changes the types of uh, actions that I do, the things that I'm engaged with, the types of movies that I watch, the type of music that I listen to, the types of things that I allow in my head that come to my heart, that come out of my heart. It changes the words that I use, the speech that I use. It changes my priorities. The things that are important to me aren't important anymore because it's all about Jesus now. And to be a Christ follower, for Christ to be magnified, it requires a full commitment. <coughs> I was talking with a lady several years ago uh, who wanted to play a musical instrument in our church, and, and she attended once or twice a month, if that. And I said, how about this? How about you work on your church attendance, being here committed to the body first, being committed to community, making relationships with people, being committed to walking with the Lord, and then we can talk about ways that you can serve God. And she said... You see, that's the problem with this church. You think that God wants all of my Sunday mornings. I can't have a Sunday morning to myself. And I go, you're kind of missing the point here. She goes, no, no, no. Are you telling me that God wants every Sunday morning from me? Nope. God wants everything from you. Everything. <laughs> he doesn't just want two hours on a Sunday morning. He wants 24 hours on Sunday. He wants 24 hours on Monday. He wants 24 hours on Tuesday. For how long? The rest of your life. We talked, took a look at it last week. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You don't get a break from that. And unfortunately, sometimes Christians go, oh, I didn't know I was getting into that when I decided to follow Jesus. Is that, is that a letdown for you, that following Jesus for the rest of your life? Is that a disappointment to you? No, 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 this is the most exciting thing that I've ever been a part of in my entire life. The creator God of the universe who spoke everything into existence loves me, wants to know me, wants me on his team and says that I'm useful to him. What? No greater joy in my life to serve him. Romans chapter 12, verse number one. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Again, when he speaks of bodies, every aspect of your being, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants every fiber of your being fully locked and loaded, ready to serve him at all times. Sometimes people say, 
I'm willing to serve the Lord if he needs me. <laughs> he needs you. Well, if, you know, if there's something I, I can do, let me know. Get to work. Sometimes people feel like the, it's the pastor's job to give them a job to do. Like, I believe 98% of the people in this room this morning love this church so much that if I asked you to come in on a Saturday morning at 10 o'clock and, and clean the, the, the toilets in the bathrooms, I believe 98% of the people in this room this morning would come on a Saturday morning and clean the toilets if that's what you thought was expected of you. And you would say, I love the Lord, I love this place, I just wanna do that. Would 98% of you walk, wake up tomorrow morning and walk with Jesus and love every single person around you tomorrow like Jesus would to magnify his name? I hope that you would, but my thought is maybe you wouldn't. You see, serving Jesus isn't having a job to do. It's about having a life to live. It takes over every aspect of it. Paul says, I want Christ to be magnified in my body in every fiber of my being. You see, the only way is, the other thing that he says here is that, um, <coughs> verse number 20, that Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by my life or by my death. Here's the thought. This is so simple, I, I hesitate, I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but get this. The only way for Christ to be magnified is in your death is that he's first magnified in your life. I don't know if you've ever thought about what it's gonna be like when you die. Not about what heaven's gonna be, but like what you leave behind. I've prepared my kids in advance. When I die, there is no large windfall of cash or uh, material goods that are coming their way. I just want you to know that ahead of time so you're not disappointed. Like, oh, I can't wait to see what dad left me. Uh, dad left you a couple of watches and uh, a couple of notes, you know. My legacy that I leave my children, I want it to be a legacy of faith. I want them to say, my dad left me the most important thing in the world, God's word. Christ was so magnified in my dad's life that I saw Jesus at work and I know what Jesus looks like because I saw it in my dad. Christ was magnified in such a way in his life that I now have a pattern to follow. That's what I want. And I think about when I die, the impact that I leave. And if, here's the thing. If I wanna leave an impact one day in my family's life, in the lives of my friends and family, and the people like you that I consider family, if I wanna leave an impact in your life, you know what I have to do to have that one day? I've gotta start living like that today. Book written by a Christian uh, man who's not a Christian, uh, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of the seven habits was they begin with the end in mind. They think about where they want to wind up and then they work towards that. I want to one day leave behind a death that magnifies Christ. So I've got to start today living a life that magnifies Christ so that when I die, it can be said of me, Jesus Christ was magnified in his life and now we know that he's in heaven with the Savior that he loved so much and Christ is magnified in my life yet also my death but I gotta start living today with that in mind. What a shameful thing that, that people die every single day and they say, oh, he sure did love the Patriots, you know. Man, sorry Patriots fans, you didn't make it this year, right? What a terrible thing they said, he sure loved his work that he did. Man, his work was his life. His fishing boat, man, he loved to spend every weekend out there on that fishing boat. Did you ever see that elk that he killed that one year in Minnesota? Hey, look, I'm thankful if anybody's got stories like that, but if that's the sum total of your life, you missed it. I want Christ to be magnified. I want the work that my life is invested in to outlive me. I want it to be bigger than me. I don't want to just live and die and, and take a couple of good trips and have a few nice things and call it good. I want Christ to be magnified because that's the stuff that counts. You see, magnifying Jesus puts this life into perspective. It really boils everything down, makes it really simple. It's all about Jesus. Magnifying Christ means that whether we live or we die, it's all about Jesus. That's what it means to magnify Christ. 
Notice magnifying Christ doesn't speak anything about your socioeconomic status. Notice magnifying Christ has very little to do with your education that you have as far as the things that this world would value. Notice magnifying of Christ doesn't specify what neighborhood you live in or how nice your place is. Magnifying Christ is all about your priorities. What's important to you? What does it mean to magnify Christ in my life, in your life? It means it's all about Jesus. Colossians chapter three, verse number one says, if you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on the things above and not this earth. The Bible says, again, look at Colossians one, uh, three, one in your, in, your, in your notes there this morning. If ye then be risen with Christ, if you're here today and you're saved, you're risen with Christ. So if that's you, you call yourself a Christian, you call yourself a Christ follower, then here's the directive. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on the thing above and not on this earth. And so many times we look around us and we find our value, we find our worth in the things that we can see and the things that we've accomplished or not accomplished. And I've lost track of the number of single adults that I have met with in my lifetime that say that they feel like a failure because they're not married at X age. (laughs) This says that we don't set our affections on the things of this earth. We set our affections on the thing above. And look, if you're looking for another person on this earth to provide the validation you need to feel like somebody, something inside of you is emotionally broken. And the only hope that you will find in this life that will never let you down is in the person of Jesus Christ. And you have to find satisfaction and fulfillment in that. And if and when God ever allows you to have another person that you can marry, know this, that person does not complete you. The two of you become one for the purpose of serving Christ together. That's it. And and friend, that fixes 99.9% of all marriage issues that come up. Because we get disappointed because somebody didn't meet our need. Hey, look, it's not about another person, it's about Christ. And I didn't fully grasp this when my wife and I got married. We didn't do things the right way in the fact that we didn't get premarital counseling. We didn't sit down with a pastor who set expectations for us. I hated reading books, and so I didn't, I didn't even read any marriage books podcasting wasn't a thing. There weren't any Christian podcasts to listen to about marriage. We just kind of were winging it. Trial and error. Figure it out as you go. But later when I got a grip on what the Bible says about marriage, I realized that marriage is our opportunity to serve Christ together. That I should have been serving Jesus on my own as a single man and God brought a woman of God in my life to help me to serve God to a greater degree. And so you know what we've been doing since the last 20 years when we finally figured this whole thing out about what marriage is about, we've been serving Jesus together. And she helps me serve Jesus to a greater degree. I help her serve Jesus to a greater degree. And the two of us accomplish more together than we could have ever accomplished apart. But at the end of the day, she doesn't complete me and make me feel like a whole person. Christ does that. She doesn't meet every need that I could ever possibly have that I couldn't fulfill on my own. Christ does that but God's given me a woman to share that with. So again, when we find our worth in the things of this world, I know people who say, well, God can never use me. I never finished high school. At what point do you think that the public education system today is the standard of success? Well, you know, God can never use me because I didn't finish X, Y, or Z, you know? Ah, can you be faithful? Can you be obedient? Can you follow after Jesus? Can you be locked and loaded full bore follower of Christ. If so, God has great things in store for you. Whether we eat or whether we drink, it's about God's glory. So whether we live or die, it's about Jesus. Whether we eat or drink, it's about God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that. (laughs) But at the end of the day, magnifying Jesus requires our full focus. My son, uh, Vanderlei, was homeschooled for his uh, 10th grade year of high school. And um, if you have the opportunity to be able to teach your own children in your house and, and you're able to love them and, and serve your kids through teaching them at home, I believe that's one of the best options you could ever possibly have. Uh, God's given education as a requirement in the home first and foremost. So if you have what it takes to, to homeschool your kids, man, that's a good option. <laughs> Our family 
are terrible homeschoolers, okay? We're all, we're slugs when it comes to homeschooling, okay? And so it just did not work for us whatsoever. Again, I said, if you can do it, good for you. We couldn't do it. I'm just telling you that. Uh, so we were terrible at it. And so part of the 10th grade uh, curriculum was biology. And so we had to buy a microscope online and all the dead animals that they put in a bag that they send you in the mail and stuff like that. And so we were supposed to do all that. I said we were supposed to do all that because we didn't actually get it done. Uh, and so, but a couple of weeks ago, we found in the back of the closet, this nice, nice microscope that we bought for homeschooling that had never actually been used. And so we broke it out and we're trying to find stuff around the house to stick under the microscope and stuff. And found bugs and put them on the slides and put them under the microscope and the kids are looking at them and, and my wife's like I don't want to see what's going on in our house I don't want to see it it scares me it's like no look like you can see like the hairs on the end of the cockroaches in tennis uh, unbelievable and she's like I don't want to see the hairs on the end of a cockroaches in tennis oh it's amazing and so we were like pulling hair out and looking at it and they were jerking stuff out of my beard and putting it in there and so it was awesome but part of using that microscope was changing the lenses, moving it in the right place, and then adjusting the focus. If it was out of focus, you couldn't see anything. But the second that it came into focus, it was like, oh, you've got to see this. This is awesome. We, we, we even uh, took uh, a cell phone and put it underneath there and turned the screen on and zoomed in to the highest magnification that you could, and you could see all the red, green, and blue dots that made up the image. You could see the individual dots. We're all looking at it like, oh, that's awesome. You got one turn out of focus, you couldn't see anything. It was just a big, huge mess. Christ is the same thing. Look, if this is just a, a gig that you got on Sunday mornings for a couple hours and you go back into life as normal, this makes no sense whatsoever to you. But if you got it dialed in where Christ is in focus, you're just like, this is the missing part. This is what I need. This is what I've been doing wrong all the time up to this point. This is it. I found it. And what I found is so incredible, I want other people to see it. When I, when I got that dialed in on that cell phone screen, you could see these red, green, and blue dots that were huge. Come over here, look at this. You gotta see this, you gotta see this. Oh, I was like, I'm busy, I don't have to. No, you gotta come over and see this. Man, when you get Christ in full focus, come over and see this, you gotta see this. You gotta come to our church. Oh, I've been to church before. No, 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 you've never been to a church like this before. You've never met people like this before. At the wedding yesterday, I was talking to some folks. I said, hey, do you guys have a church that you guys attend? They said, no, not right now. I don't have a church. I said, hey, the best church on the entire island is right here. And they laughed. And they go, well, you might be a little bit biased. And I said, just because I'm biased doesn't mean that I'm wrong, right? Hey, I believe we have the world's finest Navy. I, I, I served in it. World's finest Navy. He said, well, you might be biased. I might be biased, but there's no way that I'm wrong that we are the world's finest Navy. But, but I said this, you should, should come check it out, just one Sunday, just one Sunday. And if it's not for you, man, go do something else. But I would encourage you to come here because you're going to find a people like you've never met before in your life. Not perfect, but a family of people that are greatly imperfect but are trying to do better today than we did yesterday. And if you've never found Jesus, you'll find what your soul craves. None of us are born into this automatically. You might have been born into church. You might have grown up in church your whole life. But none of us are born into the family of God. We're actually all born outside of the family of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that we're even enemies of God because we've sinned against God. And our sin, because of that, not only has gotten us outside of the family of God, it's also caused us to have to pay for our own sin. Sin has a price. It has to be paid. You can't get by without it. And the only way that you can pay for your sin is by dying and spending eternity apart from God. That's the only hope that you have do it, to do it on your own. But God loves you so much that he wants you to not live apart from him, but live with him for eternity in heaven. If you're here today and there's never been a time in your life where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, know this, you're under the penalty of God's punishment. And the second that you die, you slip off into eternity and you will pay for your sin for all of eternity in a real place called hell that burns with real fire forever, and there's no second chances. It's the worst thing in the world that could ever happen to another human being. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
God doesn't want you to go to hell, so he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your sins. That if you'd be willing to say, I've been wrong, I've broken God's law, I need to be forgiven, the Bible says that you could be saved from your sin. And if you're here today and there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved, know this, you need to be saved to go to heaven. Jesus says, no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again. You have to be saved to go to heaven. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus says he's the only way to heaven. And so you need to be saved. You're here today and you're not saved. Please, please, please put your faith and trust in Jesus today. But you know what a microscope actually does? It just magnifies what's already there. Magnify doesn't, uh, magnifying glass, a microscope, it doesn't create anything. It just makes whatever's there larger for everyone to see. So I want to challenge you this year to have Christ at the center of your life so that when your life is magnified, you know what people see? They'll see Jesus. When your life is magnified and put under a microscope, you know what people see? They see Jesus. And that's what I want. People say, oh man, living as your pastor, you live in a, a glass house where everybody sees in. Here's the crazy thing. I want people to see in. I do. And that's not a pastoral thing. That should be a Christian thing. I want people to see my life. I want people to see the way I treat my wife in public. Here's a crazy thought. I want people to see how my kids act in public. That's crazy, right? We got a two-year-old. I want people to see that my kids are crazy, but we love them, we correct them, we try to keep them on the right path. I want people to see that my kids open doors for other people. I want people to see that my kids say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. I want people to, to see when I say to my 17-year-old son, hey, could you pray for lunch today? He doesn't go, why me? I want to say, yeah, let's pray. I want people to see that. You know why? Not because it magnifies me, because it magnifies Jesus. Oh, please don't look at my life. Please look at Jesus at work in my life. And I have an opportunity. You have an opportunity this year that Christ would be magnified. And I'm praying that Christ would be magnified in your life. And when the time comes, I pray that Christ would be magnified in your death. We had a first last year where a young person in our church passed away. We'd never had that before in six and a half years. I received a phone call from his auntie who said that he passed away. Carlos Contrades, awesome guy. Came from a rough background of drug addiction, alcohol abuse, crime. And when she told me he had passed away, I thought to myself, no, I hope he didn't mix up with the wrong folks. But just an accident, got hit by a car on the side of the road. Was in heaven immediately. And when it came out, the last text messages that he had sent to people, You know what they were? Hey, I'm praying for you today. What does it mean to be a committed man of God? What's an area in my life where I can grow to be more like Jesus this year? And you know what it was? In his death, Jesus Christ was magnified. At his uh, memorial ceremony, I didn't get to be a part of it. I was out of town. It was a memorial ceremony. Three different people shared the gospel, and three different people told about his life and how it was affected by the gospel. And you know what? through a terrible, awful situation that I wouldn't wish on anybody. Jesus Christ was magnified through his life and also through his death. I want that for me. I want that for you. But to do that, we gotta have a plan. We've gotta be intentional. It's gonna require boldness and we have to be fully committed to this process. Most important thing in the world here before we close today, if you're not sure that you're saved today, If we magnified your life, we're only going to find more of selfishness, more of self, because you're not a child of God. You don't have Jesus. And for Christ to be magnified, you have to have him first. And so if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, you're not 100% sure that heaven's your home, please don't leave here today without knowing for sure, 100% certain your sins are forgiven, heaven is your home, so that Christ can be magnified. But for those of us that are Christians here today, man, Let's make that our thought this year. Let's make that not just our church corporate theme, but our own personal theme this year. 
that Jesus Christ would be magnified in my life, whether it be my life or by my death, so that people can see the greatness of our God. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.